mic on. Hey there, folks. This is Joseph speaking. And in this episode, we're going to be doing from... Patriarchs and Prophets. The title is... On. The magnanimity of David, I believe it's pronounced magnanimity. So anyway, here we go. Chapter 65, The Magnanimity of David. This chapter is based on 1 Samuel 22, verses 20 to 23, and chapters 23 to 27. After Saul's atrocious slaughter of the priests of the Lord, one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abiathar showed David that Saul had slain the Lord's priests. And David said unto Abiathar, I knew it that day when Doeg the Edomite was there, that he would surely tell Saul, I have occasioned the death of all the persons of thy father's house. Abide thou with me, fear not, for he that seeketh my life seeketh thy life. But with me thou shalt be in safeguard. Still hunted by the king, David found no place of rest or security. At Keilah, his brave band saved the town from capture by the Philistines, but they were not safe even among the people whom they had delivered. From Keilah they repaired to the wilderness of Ziph. At this time, when there were so few bright spots in the path of David, he was rejoiced to receive an unexpected visit from Jonathan, who had learned the place of his refuge. Precious were the moments which these two friends passed in each other's society. They related their varied experiences, and Jonathan strengthened the heart of David, saying, Fear not! For the hand of Saul my father shall not find thee, and thou shalt be king over Israel, and I shall be next unto thee, and that also Saul my father knoweth. As they talked of the wonderful dealings of God with David, the hunted fugitive was greatly encouraged, and they too made a covenant before the Lord. And David abode in the wood, and Jonathan went to his house. After the visit of Jonathan, David encouraged his soul with songs of praise, accompanying his voice with his harp, as he sang, In the Lord put I my trust. How say ye to my soul, Flee as a bird to your mountain? For lo, the wicked bend their bow, they make ready their arrow upon the string. 
that they may privily shoot at the upright in heart. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold. His eyelids try the children of men. The Lord trieth the righteous. But the wicked and him that loveth violence, his soul hateth. Psalm 11, verses 1 to 5. The Ziphites, into whose wild regions David went from Keilah, sent word to Saul and Gibeah that they knew where David was hiding, and that they would guide the king to his retreat. But David, warned of their intentions, changed his position, seeking refuge in the mountains between Meon and the Dead Sea. Again word was sent to Saul, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took three thousand chosen men out of all Israel, and went to seek David and his men upon the rocks of the wild goats. David had only six hundred men in his company, while Saul advanced against him with an army of three thousand. In a secluded cave the son of Jesse and his men waited for the guidance of God as to what should be done. As Saul was pressing his way up the mountains, he turned aside and entered alone the very cavern in which David and his band were hidden. When David's men saw this, they urged their leader to kill Saul. The fact that the king was now in their power was interpreted by them as certain evidence that God himself had delivered the enemy into their hand, that they might destroy him. David was tempted to take this view of the matter. But the voice of conscience spoke to him, saying, Touch not the anointed of the Lord. David's men were still unwilling to leave Saul in peace and they reminded their commander of the words of God, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thine hand, that thou mayest do to him as it shall seem good unto thee. Then David arose and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privily. But his conscience smote him afterward, because he had even marred the garment of the king. Saul rose up and went out of the cave to continue his search, when a voice fell upon his startled ears, saying, My lord, the king! He turned to see who was addressing him, and lo, it was the son of Jesse, the man whom he had so long desired to have in his power that he might kill him. David bowed himself to the king, acknowledging him as his master. Then he addressed Saul in these words, Wherefore hearest thou men's words, saying, Behold, David seeketh thy hurt? Behold, this day thine eyes have seen how the Lord hath delivered thee today into mine hand in the cave. And some bade me kill thee, but mine eye spared thee, and I said, I will not put forth mine hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see, yea, see the skirt of thy robe in my hand, for in that I cut off the skirt of thy robe, and killed thee not, Know thou, and see, that there is neither evil nor transgression in mine hand. And I have not sinned against thee, yet thou huntest my soul to take it. When Saul heard the words of David, he was humbled, and could not but admit their truthfulness. His feelings were deeply moved as he realized how completely he had been in the power of the man whose life he sought. David stood before him in conscious innocence. With a softened spirit, Saul exclaimed, Is this thy voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. Then he declared to David, Thou art more righteous than I, for thou hast rewarded me good, whereas I have rewarded thee evil. 
For if a man find his enemy, will he let him go well away? Wherefore the Lord reward thee good, for that thou hast done unto me this day. And now, behold, I know well that thou shalt surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in thine hand. And David made a covenant with Saul that when this should take place, he would favorably regard the house of Saul and not cut off his name. Knowing what he did of Saul's past course, David could put no confidence in the assurances of the king, nor hope that his penitent condition would long continue. So when Saul returned to his home, David remained in the strongholds of the mountains. The enmity that is cherished toward the servants of God by those who have yielded to the power of Satan changes at times to a feeling of reconciliation and favor, but the change does not always prove to be lasting. After evil-minded men have engaged in doing and saying wicked things against the Lord's servants, the conviction that they have been in the wrong sometimes takes deep hold upon their minds. The Spirit of the Lord strives with them, and they humble their hearts before God and before those whose influence they have sought to destroy, and they may change their course toward them. But as they again open the door to the suggestions of the evil one, the old doubts are revived, the old enmity is awakened, and they return to engage in the same work which they repented of, and for a time abandoned. Again they speak evil, accusing and condemning in the bitterest manner the very ones to whom they made most humble confession. Satan can use such souls with far greater power after such a course has been pursued than he could before, because they have sinned against greater light. And Samuel died, and all the Israelites were gathered together and lamented him, and buried him in his house at Ramah. The death of Samuel was regarded as an irreparable loss by the nation of Israel. A great and good prophet and an eminent judge had fallen in death, and the grief of the people was deep and heartfelt. From his youth up Samuel had walked before Israel in the integrity of his heart. Although Saul had been the acknowledged king, Samuel had wielded a more powerful influence than he, because his record was one of faithfulness, obedience, and devotion. We read that he judged Israel all the days of his life. As the people contrasted the course of Saul with that of Samuel, they saw what a mistake they had made in desiring a king, that they might not be different from the nations around them. Many looked with alarm at the condition of society, fast become leavened with irreligion and godlessness. The example of their ruler was exerting a widespread influence, and well might Israel mourn that Samuel, the prophet of the Lord, was dead. The nation had lost the founder and president of its sacred schools, but that was not all. It had lost him to whom the people had been accustomed to go with their great troubles, lost one who had constantly interceded with God in behalf of the best interests of its people. The intercession of Samuel had given a feeling of security, for the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. James chapter 5, verse 16. The people felt now that God was forsaking them. The king seemed little less than a madman. Justice was perverted, and order was turned to confusion. It was when the nation was racked with internal strife, when the calm, God-fearing counsel of Samuel seemed to be most needed, that God gave his aged servant rest. Bitter were the reflections of the people as they looked upon his quiet resting place, 
and remembered their folly in rejecting him as their ruler, for he had had so close a connection with heaven that he seemed to bind all Israel to the throne of Jehovah. It was Samuel who had taught them to love and obey God. But now that he was dead, the people felt that they were left to the mercies of a king who was joined to Satan, and who would divorce the people from God and heaven. David could not be present at the burial of Samuel, but he mourned for him as deeply and tenderly as a faithful son could mourn for a devoted father. He knew that Samuel's death had broken another bond of restraint from the actions of Saul, and he felt less secure than when the prophet lived. While the attention of Saul was engaged in mourning for the death of Samuel, David took the opportunity to seek a place of greater security, so he fled to the wilderness of Paran. It was here that he composed the 120th and 21st Psalms. In these desolate wilds, realizing that the prophet was dead and the king was his enemy, he sang, My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. Psalm 121, verses 2 to 8. While David and his men were in the wilderness of Paran, they protected from the depredations of marauders the flocks and herds of a wealthy man named Nabal, who had vast possessions in that region. Nabal was a descendant of Caleb, but his character was churlish and niggardly. It was a time of sheep-shearing, a season of hospitality. David and his men were in sore need of provisions, and in accordance with the custom of the times, the son of Jesse sent ten young men to Nabal, bidding them greet him in their master's name, and he added, Thus shall ye say to him that liveth in prosperity, Peace be both to thee, and peace be to thine house, and peace be unto all that thou hast. And now I have heard that thou hast shearers. Now thy shepherds, which were with us, we hurt them not, neither was there aught missing unto them, all the while they were in Carmel. Ask thy young men, and they will show thee. Wherefore, let the young men find favor in thine eyes, for we come in a good day. Give, I pray thee, whatsoever cometh to thine hand unto thy servants, and to thy son David. David and his men had been like a wall of protection to the shepherds and flocks of Nabal, and now this rich man was asked to furnish from his abundance some relief to the necessities of those who had done him such valuable service. David and his men might have helped themselves from the flocks and herds, but they did not. They behaved themselves in an honest way. Their kindness, however, was lost upon Nabal. The answer he returned to David was indicative of his character. Who is David, and who is the son of Jesse? There be many servants nowadays that break away every man from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my flesh that I have killed for my shearers and give it unto men whom I know not whence they be? When the young men returned empty-handed and related the affair to David, he was filled with indignation. He commanded his men to equip themselves for an encounter, for he had determined to punish the man who had denied him what was his right and had added insult to injury. This impulsive movement was more in harmony with the character of Saul than with that of David, 
but the son of Jesse had yet to learn lessons of patience in the school of affliction. One of Nabal's servants hastened to Abigail, the wife of Nabal, after he had dismissed David's young men and told her what had happened. Behold, he said, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to salute our master, and he railed on them. But the men were very good unto us, and we were not hurt, neither missed we anything, as long as we were conversant with them, when we were in the fields. They were a wall unto us, both by night and day, all the while we were with them, keeping the sheep. Now therefore know and consider what thou wilt do, for evil is determined against our master, and against all his household. Without consulting her husband or telling him of her intention, Abigail made up an ample supply of provisions, which, laid it upon asses, she sent forward in the charge of servants, and herself started out to meet the band of David. She met them in a covert of a hill. And when Abigail saw David, she hasted, and lighted off the ass, and fell before David on her face, and bowed herself to the ground, and fell at his feet, and said, Upon me, my lord, upon me let this iniquity be, and let thine handmaid, I pray thee, speak in thine audience. Abigail addressed David with as much reverence as though speaking to a crowned monarch. Nabal had scornfully exclaimed, Who is David? But Abigail called him, My lord. With kind words she sought to soothe his irritated feelings, and she pleaded with him in behalf of her husband. With nothing of ostentation or pride, but full of the wisdom and love of God, Abigail revealed the strength of her devotion to her household, and she made it plain to David that the unkind course of her husband was in no wise premeditated against him as a personal affront, but was simply the outburst of an unhappy and selfish nature. Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, seeing the Lord hath withholden thee from coming to shed blood, and from avenging thyself with thine own hand, now let thine enemies, and they that seek evil to my Lord, be as Nabal. Abigail did not take to herself the credit of this reasoning to turn David from his hasty purpose, but gave to God the honor and the praise. She then offered her rich provision as a peace offering to the men of David, and still pleaded as if she herself were the one who had so excited the resentment of the chief. I pray thee, she said, forgive the trespass of thine handmaid, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord fighteth the battles of the Lord, and evil hath not been found in thee all thy days. Abigail presented by implication the course that David ought to pursue. He should fight the battles of the Lord. He was not to seek revenge for personal wrongs, even though persecuted as a traitor. She continued, Though man be risen up to pursue thee, and to seek thy soul, yet the soul of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of life with the Lord thy God. And it shall come to pass, when the Lord shall have done to my Lord, according to all the good that he has spoken concerning thee, and shall have appointed thee prince over Israel, that this shall be no grief unto thee, nor offense of heart unto my Lord, either that thou hast shed blood causeless, or that my Lord hath avenged himself. And when the Lord shall have dealt well with my Lord, then remember thine handmaid. 1 Samuel chapter 25, verses 29 to 31 in the Revised Version. These words could have come only from the lips of one who had partaken of the wisdom from above. The piety of Abigail, like the fragrance of a flower, 
breathed out all unconsciously in face and word and action. The Spirit of the Son of God was abiding in her soul. Her speech, seasoned with grace and full of kindness and peace, shed a heavenly influence. Better impulses came to David, and he trembled as he thought what might have been the consequences of his rash purpose. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Would that there were many more like this woman of Israel, who would soothe the irritated feelings, prevent rash impulses, and quell great evils by words of calm and well-directed wisdom. A consecrated Christian life is ever shedding light and comfort and peace. It is characterized by purity, tact, simplicity, and usefulness. It is controlled by that unselfish love that sanctifies the influence. It is full of Christ and leaves a track of light wherever its possessor may go. Abigail was a wise reprover and counselor. David's passion died away under the power of her influence and reasoning. He was convinced that he had taken an unwise course and had lost control of his own spirit. With a humble heart he received the rebuke in harmony with his own words. Let the righteous smite me. It shall be a kindness. And let him reprove me. It shall be an excellent oil. Psalm 141, verse 5. He gave thanks and blessings because she advised him righteously. There are many who, when they are reproved, think it praiseworthy if they receive the rebuke without becoming impatient. But how few take reproof with gratitude of heart and bless those who seek to save them from pursuing an evil course. When Abigail returned home, she found Nabal and his guests in the enjoyment of a great feast which they had converted into a scene of drunken revelry. Not until the next morning did she relate to her husband what had occurred in her interview with David. Nabal was a coward at heart, and when he realized how near his folly had brought him to a sudden death, he seemed smitten with paralysis. Fearful that David would still pursue his purpose of revenge, he was filled with horror and sank down in a condition of helpless insensibility. After ten days, he died. The life that God had given him had been only a curse to the world. In the midst of his rejoicing and making merry, God had said to him, as he said to the rich man of the parable, This night thy soul shall be required of thee. David afterward married Abigail. He was already the husband of one wife, but the custom of the nations of his time had perverted his judgment and influenced his actions. Even great and good men have erred in following the practices of the world. The bitter result of marrying many wives was sorely felt throughout all the life of David. After the death of Samuel, David was left in peace for a few months. Again he repaired to the solitude of the Ziphites, but these enemies, hoping to secure the favor of the king, informed him of David's hiding place. This intelligence aroused the demon of passion that had been slumbering in Saul's breast. Once more he summoned his men of arms and led them out in pursuit of David. But friendly spies brought tidings to the son of Jesse that Saul was again pursuing him, and with a few of his men David started out to learn the location of his enemy. It was night when, cautiously advancing, they came upon the encampment and saw before them the tents of the king and his attendants. 
They were unobserved, for the camp was quiet in slumber. David called upon his friends to go with him into the very midst of the foe, in answer to his question, Who will go down with me to Saul to the camp? Abishai promptly responded, I will go down with thee. Hidden by the deep shadows of the hills, David and his attendant entered the encampment of the enemy. As they sought to ascertain the exact number of their foes, they came upon Saul sleeping, his spear stuck in the ground, and a cruise of water at his head. Beside him lay Abner, his chief commander, and all around them were the soldiers locked in slumber. Abishai raised his spear and said to David, God hath delivered thine enemy into thine hand this day. Now therefore let me smite him, I pray thee, with the spear even to the earth at once, and I will not smite him the second time. He waited for the word of permission, but there fell upon his ear the whispered words, Destroy him not, for who can stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As the Lord liveth, the Lord shall smite him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall descend into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch forth mine hand against the Lord's anointed. But I pray thee, take thou now the spear that is at his bolster, and the cruise of water, and let us go. So David took the spear and the cruise of water from Saul's bolster, and they gat them away, and no man saw it nor knew it, neither awakened. For they were all asleep, because a deep sleep from the Lord was fallen upon them. How easily the Lord can weaken the strongest, remove prudence from the wisest, and baffle the skill of the most watchful. When David was at a safe distance from the camp, he stood on the top of the hill and cried with a loud voice to the people and to Abner, saying, Art not thou a valiant man, and who is like to thee in Israel? Wherefore then hast thou not kept thy lord the king? For there came one of the people in to destroy the king thy lord. This thing is not good that thou hast done. As the Lord liveth, ye are worthy to die, because ye have not kept your master the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is, and the cruise of water that was at his bolster. And Saul knew David's voice, and said, Is this thy voice, my son David? And David said, It is my voice, my lord, O king. And he said, Wherefore doth my lord thus pursue after his servant? For what have I done, or what evil is in mine hand? Now therefore I pray thee, let my lord the king hear the words of his servant. Again the acknowledgment fell from the lips of the king, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will no more do thee harm, because my soul was precious in thine eyes this day. Behold, I have played the fool, and have erred exceedingly. And David answered and said, Behold the king's spear, and let one of the young men come over and fetch it. Although Saul had made the promise, I will no more do thee harm, David did not place himself in his power. This second instance of David's respect for his sovereign's life made a still deeper impression upon the mind of Saul, and brought from him a more humble acknowledgment of his fault. He was astonished and subdued at the manifestation of such kindness. In parting from David, Saul exclaimed, Blessed be thou, my son David, thou shalt both do great things, and also shalt still prevail. But the son of Jesse had no hope that the king would long continue in this frame of mind. David despaired of a reconciliation with Saul. 
it seemed inevitable that he should at last fall a victim to the malice of the king, and he determined again to seek refuge in the land of the Philistines. With the six hundred men under his command, he passed over to Achish, the king of Gath. David's conclusion that Saul would certainly accomplish his murderous purpose was formed without the counsel of God. Even while Saul was plotting and seeking to accomplish his destruction, the Lord was working to secure David the kingdom. God works out his plans, though to human eyes they are veiled in mystery. Men cannot understand the ways of God, and looking at appearances they interpret the trials and tests and provings that God permits to come upon them as things that are against them and that will only work their ruin. Thus David looked on appearances, and not at the promises of God. He doubted that he would ever come to the throne. Long trials had worried his faith and exhausted his patience. The Lord did not send David for protection to the Philistines, the most bitter foes of Israel. This very nation would be among his worst enemies to the last, and yet he had fled to them for help in his time of need. Having lost all confidence in Saul and in those who served him, he threw himself upon the mercies of the enemies of his people. David was a brave general and had proved himself a wise and successful warrior, but he was working directly against his own interests when he went to the Philistines. God had appointed him to set up his standard in the land of Judah, and it was want of faith that led him to forsake his post of duty without a command from the Lord. God was dishonored by David's unbelief. The Philistines had feared David more than they had feared Saul and his armies. And by placing himself under the protection of the Philistines, David discovered to them the weakness of his own people. Thus he encouraged these relentless foes to oppress Israel. David had been anointed to stand in defense of the people of God, and the Lord would not have his servants give encouragement to the wicked by disclosing the weakness of his people or by an appearance of indifference to their welfare. Furthermore, the impression was received by his brethren that he had gone to the heathen to serve their gods. By this act he gave occasion for misconstruing his motives, and many were led to hold prejudice against him. The very thing that Satan desired to have him do, he was led to do. For in seeking refuge among the Philistines, David caused great exultation to the enemies of God and his people. David did not renounce his worship of God, nor cease his devotion to his cause, but he sacrificed his trust in him to his personal safety, and thus tarnished the upright and faithful character that God requires his servants to possess. David was cordially received by the king of the Philistines. The warmth of this reception was partly due to the fact that the king admired him, and partly to the fact that it was flattering to his vanity to have a Hebrew seek his protection. David felt secure from betrayal in the dominions of Achish. He brought his family, his household, and his possessions, as did also his men, and to all appearance he had come to settle permanently in the land of Philistia. All this was gratifying to Achish, who promised to protect the fugitive Israelites. At David's request for a residence in the country, removed from the royal city, the king graciously granted Ziklag as a possession. David realized that it would be dangerous for himself and his men to be under the influence of idolaters. In a town wholly separated for their use, 
they might worship God with more freedom than they could if they remained in Gath, where the heathen rites could not but prove a source of evil and annoyance. While dwelling in this isolated town, David made war upon the Geshurites, the Gezrites, and the Amalekites, and he left none alive to bring tidings to Gath. When he returned from battle, he gave Achish to understand that he had been warring against those of his own nation, the men of Judah. By this dissembling, he was the means of strengthening the hand of the Philistines. For the king said, He hath made his people Israel utterly to abhor him. Therefore he shall be my servant forever. David knew that it was the will of God that those heathen tribes should be destroyed, and he knew that he was appointed to do this work. But he was not walking in the counsel of God when he practiced deception. And it came to pass in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for warfare to fight with Israel. And Achish said unto David, Know thou assuredly that thou shalt go out with me to battle, thou and thy men. David had no intention of lifting his hand against his people. But he was not certain as to what course he would pursue until circumstances should indicate his duty. He answered the king evasively and said, Surely thou shalt know what thy servant can do. Achish understood these words as a promise of assistance in the approaching war and pledged his word to bestow upon David great honor and give him a high position in the Philistine court. But although David's faith had staggered somewhat at the promises of God, he still remembered that Samuel had anointed him king of Israel. He recalled the victories that God had given him over his enemies in the past. He reviewed the great mercy of God in preserving him from the hand of Saul and determined not to betray a sacred trust. Even though the king of Israel had sought his life, he would not join his forces with the enemies of his people. Mike on. Well, this completes the episode of The Magnanimity of David. Bye for now.